0: In this week's show, we discuss the concept of the Trinity in Biblical theology. To the focus on the subject arose from the question, is it possible to understand the nature of God from Biblical sources? We address this issue by comparing Jewish and Christian approaches to describing or defining God. One author discussed is Dr. Michael Heiser, once interviewed on our show regarding the ancient astronaut theory. In his presentation, based on his dissertation titled, The Divine Council in Late Canonical and Non-Canonical Second Temple Jewish Literature, he discusses how, based on both ancient linguistics and biblical mysticism, the Trinity existed in pre-first century theological ideas found in the Bible. We explore the traditions that led to the two powers in heaven theology and how the early church fathers developed theological concepts which could be considered to be inconsistent with the ancient Israelite worldview portrayed in the Bible.
1: The reason that, that, um, that this is important is because we can't really comprehend God. God, um, there, one of the guys that I'm going to be quoting, he says that the, the name for God or the word that describes God in the Hebrew Elohim is plural, and it's not plural because it's compounded or it's a family. It's plural because it's something that you can't contain. So um, water in Hebrew is Mayim. So water is in plural. Why? Because water changes, and water can be from a drop to an ocean to a piece of ice. So it's it's, uh, some type of uh, natural force that that it is um, difficult to to grasp. The same goes for the heavens, Uh, "shamayim." Shamayim is in plural because the heavens—we uh, don't know what's past, you know, the atmosphere and like going to the universe. So the same thing goes for God. God is not plural because uh, of this preconceived notion that He has revealed Himself in three persons, but God is plural because He is um, unmanageable. Like He's is a is a force, is is a, a being that has no limits. So, when we are discussing this, this difficult subject of the nature of God, we have to compare the two approaches that the, the, the ancient uh, Hebrews, Israelites, or what we call the Jews have uh, versus the Greco Roman church fathers, because we have people who have come from different perspectives. So, one is, an, is a narrative, you know, the Torah and the, the writings and the prophets. It's a narrative that, that it talks about our relationship with God. And you describe that relationship. So if you see symbols of God in the Bible, they say that he's a rock, that he's a mountain, that he's a king. So he, there's things that we can relate to. In In philosophical terms, from a Greco-Roman perspective, it's trying to define God and trying to describe him. So now you not only have... Um, so the Jewish one is to describe him. The Hebraic one is to describe him. The Greco-Roman one is to define him. So now you got to say, well, God is this compared to that. And even Maimonides did that. He said, God is not this, God is not that. So use the negative theology to define God. So the Greeks decided to, to take the, the three, um, you would say, you know, from from a Christian standpoint, three manifestations of God God is an old man uh, sitting on, on the throne in both Isaiah and book of Daniel. Uh, God, or the son of God, as a young warrior or a meek uh, Messiah, or even the warrior of Revelation, and that's another manifestation. And then they have this idea of spirit, which is something that, that brings about prophetic uh, utterances or dwells within the jewish people or the tabernacle or the temple or it guides the apostles in their many journeys and their confrontation with other uh, people so all these expressions of god's presence are are being um connected to one another in this almost mathematical way of trying to understand god but again can you really do that later in jewish tradition you see that with the different attributes of god and the way that uh, the emanations are described by the Sefer wrote in other uh, mystical works. So there's this. Um, it's funny that when people don't like what someone's saying uh, about God, they say that they are the stuff is weird, or that the stuff is um, is a form of um, assuming things. Or um, there's a term that, that is used by multiple authors. They're theorizing or something like that. Like, it's very condescending stuff like, well, you think that God is like that, but I know how God is. It's like, that's the biggest issue. How can anybody claim that they understand God? And it's speculation. So they say, oh, they're speculating. It's like everybody's speculating because we have limited information. And one thing that the, Dr. Heiser does in his presentation is that he doesn't explain how the authors of the Torah or the writings, or even the New Testament, they were all taken in whatever experience they had, and and they were processing it, and and then they were writing it, putting it on paper. So there's the human element of of communication where you're taking in something, you're processing it, and you are interpreting it. And you're trying to put words to what you saw. So if someone goes to heaven and speaks to the angels or the Messiah or God, that itself cannot be documented because it's an experience that is beyond human um, the human senses. So for them to come down and try to talk about it, it's almost like a traumatic experience. So it's going to be a disjointed thing. And he makes a big deal about how in one passage, um, Ezekiel or somebody says, that he was talking to God. And then the, in the next verse, he's talking to the spirit and the spirit is taking him up. And then, then the other one, he's talking to the angel and then the, the, the man that looked like um, a furnace comes and then the other one. And it's just like, just because he's kind of struggling or, or doesn't know who he's talking to or he has multiple entities uh, discussing with him, that doesn't mean that all those entities have the same hierarchical um, authority or power. And that's really the challenge of this idea that God is multiples because now you're saying that they're all equal based on on what? Based on a couple of verses. Um, The the whole case that multiple authors make is that there was a divine council. So now you have Elohim not only being God, but Elohim being multiple uh, divine beings. And through Christian uh, theology, there's always been multiple divine beings in the sense of you have angels and archangels and, and guardians and uh, you know, all like demi um, you know, powerful things I and mean, you have same thing in the levels of hell and different beings. Now that's a lot of speculation and even in the Talmud it talks about how in hell there's these angels that carry whips that look, they're like electrical cords and they whip people and some of that could have been influenced by the Greek uh, idea of Hades and and the torture that people go through there Um, but when you go to the heavenly realm or what is called the literature where there's a lot of books where they discuss the the heavenly realm you see a lot of contradicting ideas and and stuff because they're trying to make sense of a realm that that we haven't experienced as human beings and there's stories where people go up there to what's called parties or paradise and they see different things, and they have different experiences. So when we're talking about God being embodied in these um, revelations or in these manifestations, you know, you can take a Maimonidean approach and say, oh, it's it's figurative, or it's uh, a dream, or something like that, or you can take a literal approach and say that everything was substantiated physicality or some type of essence that you can describe and, and define. So now if they see an image of, of a man on the throne, they're going to jump at the conclusion that well, God must have a body. And that was a huge debate in, uh, in Jewish history. Does he really have a body or not? And then they say, oh, well, of course, it's the body of Jesus, because Jesus is a human. Yeah, but well, Jesus is human after the fact. So he go back in time and, and, and created flesh and, and bone and skin? Or did he have some primordial body that later was manifested in the flesh um, that's the stuff that they don't think about and, and it becomes almost fantastical if you start thinking about it because now we're talking about um, you know manifestation becoming uh, uh, organic and then the organic material going back into a divine realm if they really exist in a divine realm uh, even Jesus said that the, angel, the, in the in the world to come people would be like angels. So if you're like an angel, what does that mean? Angels can manifest themselves in human physicality according to uh, the Tanakh, but um, there's only certain things that she that tells you that they do. Uh, the three that appear with Abraham, they they ate. So they're, they don't need to eat, but they ate because they wanted to be hospitable and nice to their host or they actually were able to process their food. Um, so it's just a lot of very difficult stuff to even discuss because you, know, you can say, almost in a comical way, we weren't in there. Um, and that's how he perceived it. So, um, and then the Christian would say that one of the angels was God. So it's like, is it God is it an angel? Which one is it? So um, Paul Sumner makes a, a, a good case that Jesus was never called an angel. So when people say that Jesus was the angel of the Lord, that appears in different passages in, the, in Genesis. Um, you don't see that in the New Testament. The New Testament was never, never describes him as an angel. And it wasn't until the second century where people started using that term and applying it to Jesus. Get that point across as well: is that uh, we're not bashing the Trinitarian perspective. What we're doing is that we are saying that that's not the only kind of outcome of biblical information. So if if you make an assumption or a conclusion based on what you see, that's perfectly acceptable. The question is, is there a consistent uh, communication of the same idea? And we can get really uh, um, the word cynical and start breaking down all the different approaches that are for, um, for God throughout the whole Bible. You can say that you know, there, there's scholars that would say that one camp had an idea of God as something, and then another camp had an idea of God as something else, and they didn't like each other. So in the same book, you have people who are pushing for God being Elohim, and then there are other people who are pushing for God being El Shaddai, and then someone else saying that he's just El, and each term they use means something else to different people. But since we believe that, that it's a revelatory uh, scripture, we know that all these different Ideas are not competing, but they're complementary. So you can have a God who's nurturing, like El Shaddai, and then you have a God who's vast, like Elohim, and you have a God who's, uh, you know, the warrior or the young uh, artist, and they're all the same God because he's multifaceted. It's like we as human beings are multifaceted. It's not different gods or different uh, ideas of God. And that's where I think people uh, get confused. And then when it comes down to the New Testament, we can say that there's multiple conceptions of Jesus. So it doesn't mean that there was a lot of different Jesus who appeared and lived among men, but that there's Jesus, that Jesus as a man was interpreted by different people in different ways. So if you came from a camp that was mystical and you saw a gentleman that claimed that he was the Messiah, you would say, well, that makes a lot of sense because mystically, uh, you know, God will bring about... uh, a great uh, teacher who who changed the hearts and minds of people. And then if you are a, a more rationalist, you say, well, yeah, but prove it. Just because you say or you do some miracles, that's not uh, consistent with what I understand from Scripture. And someone else can say, well, yeah, but uh, the ways of God are, are so vast that we can't fully uh, decide who is and who's not because it could be multiple people with multiple powers, and it's uh, you know it's kind of a matter of the heart or personal revelation. So there's a lot of different approaches that you, that you could take to that in the, in the individual messianic figure, or all messianic figures who have uh, appeared throughout the centuries, as well as uh, the way that God has communicated His message to the different prophets and different people. Um, so for the next fifteen minutes, I just want to bring up a concept that is kind of new to me, but I want to kind of address it. So one way that the early rabbis discussed God that made sense for them was to talk about this two-power idea in relation to uh, an angel that is not necessarily the angel of the Lord, but it's an angel that becomes a mediator between us and God. Philo, who was a philosopher of of Alexandria, Egypt, who was before Paul and Jesus, he spoke of the Logos, and to him the Logos was a created being. Well, an an term that is used for the Logos, and that is the Word of God, is Metatron, and uh, that character uh, comes up in some rabbinic literature, and is um, he is part of the issue with the two powers. Uh, there's different stories where people see Metatron or the word of God sitting in the throne or being um, manifesting himself physically in some way, and they get confused and they think that he is God because he bears the name of God. So then they get chastised for doing that. And some people assume that that's a anti-Christian thing, um, like polemic, but it, it, it has to do with this idea that God used intermediaries to talk to people throughout the, the, the Torah. Uh, so, some people think the Metatron could be Moses, it could be Elijah, it could be um, Enoch, who was the man that didn't die in the book of Genesis, and then other people think it's the Logos. So, just if I mention Metatron just know that he's kind of like, he takes in the place of this intermediary that in Christian circles is Jesus. Uh, and then you can say, well, does Metfront Jesus? I don't know, because front is discussed in later rabbinic writings after, uh, you know, Jesus uh, being around. So there are different books of Enoch. There's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Enoch, and he's mentioned in 3rd Enoch. Um, And Enoch is one of the most mystical books that kind of is the foundation of uh, modern monotheism in the sense of Paul used Enoch to help him understand the universe uh, and and the different levels of heaven and stuff like that. The rabbinic writers used Enoch as kind of helping him also understand the angels and and the demons and stuff like that. So uh, Metatron is sometimes associated with Michael the angel. And I was reading that, um, the angel of the Lord is actually, uh, in the New Testament associated with Gabriel. So how can the angel of the Lord be Gabriel and Jesus, they die? Um, <coughs> Metatron is also related to the, the palace or or Shaddai, you know, God is, uh, as a nurturing, uh, ruler, um. People have to deal with uh, all these things called the Targum or Targumim. They are um, Aramaic versions of the Bible. So they would take a Bible uh, book and they would translate it. And as they translated, they would change words and find meanings within the stuff. Um, So that's where you get a lot of this wisdom theology where wisdom is personified so the Targum are Ar- aramaic versions of both the old and the new testament you know, the scriptures and the, the genes of jesus through the apostles so um but they take a lot of liberties with the text and that's what christians are are not usually aware that um even the writers of the new testament take a lot of liberties with the text so if you if you have people debating scripture and they say, well, you know, my New Testament says this about Jesus and then someone else says, well, my uh, Hebrew scriptures or the I says this about the passage and it doesn't correlate with what's in the, in the New Testament. Is like because there were different versions. So the it is believed that the New Testament passages that are quoted are from Septuagint, That is the Greek translation of the, binach,
0: the only issue
1: is that there might be a Greek version of the situde, a Hebrew version of the situt. So people assume that it's in Greek, but maybe there was a Hebrew version of the situt. And what I mean by that is that it was translated to Greek and then trans- read translated back to Hebrew because there's different interpretations. And the interpretations are made into the text. Same goes with Pagonim. Pagonim make their own allusions to Lady Wisdom and other things that they find fitting. And and the reason we know that is because there was Aramaic and and other texts in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they are side by side with the Hebrew, they, they have little changes. But they're changes that are sectarian. That means that people are applying those passages to themselves, so they are reinterpreting them to fit what they're experiencing. And that's what you see in the New Testament. And it's not foreign or weird to do that. It's something that religious groups do because they're trying to make sense of their experience. Um, And then there's issues about, you know, can God, can someone sit next to the throne of God, uh, the idea of a viceroy. So now you have God um, handing down or delegating his authority to someone else. It's interesting that... um, the, the passage in in, um, in Daniel is what's usually quoted where you have the Ancient of Days uh, and then the Son of Man, the Son of Man comes and he's given authority over heaven and earth and it's like he's about to sit on the throne. There's actually a passage in the Talmud that talks about uh, the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days. And according to Daniel Bollarin, who is the academic that most people quote, he says that that is actually related to some type of um Monarchical uh, relationship between two, uh, you know, pagan deities or uh, foreign deities. And Michael Heiser does something similar where he appeals to Canaanite religion to make a case for his divine council that is supposed to be that support room. Uh, I find that very problematic where, you know, you go from being academic to being um, syncretistic. So you can say there's correlations, connections between different religions. They start saying that there's an element from a foreign religion within the religion of, of children of Israel. And that's what we've been uh, discussing and, and, and claiming for years, that Christianity was not uh, influenced by paganism through the Greeks. It was, it was uh, native to Judaism. Now they're saying that Judaism was pagan to begin with because it had pagan ideas in it such so as God being multiples or God having children and things like that. So then it just it gets all convoluted and like makes no sense at the end. Uh, I think there's a way to salvage these things and you just have to look a little bit deeper. And it's not uh, wishful thinking that you want it all to fit perfectly and religion not to have any issues. <clears throat> but there's some consistency in the perspectives. I've heard all kinds of crazy theories where so, Astrianism influenced Judaism and then Christianity. Babylonian religion influenced uh, both. Um, Mithras called the Greeks. Uh, they say that even though most people believe that the Talmud and the rabbinic writings were in opposition to Greek thought, and they're actually very influenced by the Greeks. And there's a book called Aphrodite and the Rabbis that even says that there's even more stuff in there that, that people haven't uh, realized. So it's just because of free-for-all. Um, and, again, we are bringing this up from a religious perspective, but a religious perspective that it is reasonable, educated, and scientific to a certain point. There has to be some academic uh, integrity and academic uh, understanding that things do, do develop over time, but uh, these foreign elements are not. The easiest solution is to say, oh, it's just much bigger stuff all mixed together. It's like, but do we find that, and is that a consistent thing? Um, Before we go, I want to mention that I wrote a paper about the early Jewish Christians or or followers of Jesus, or whatever to call them, and and it talks about how um, the book of of Revelation, uh, one scholar believes it was written by John the Baptist, not by John the Revelator or John of Patmos, and then another scholar says that um, even though that's a little far-fetched, there are some things that that that, uh, scholar brought up that are important. She said that if you look at um, the way that um, there's there's these type of uh, almost um, mantras or uh, phrases that are being repeated in the book of Revelation, like uh, there's something about they follow one God and one Lord and things like that, that. It's easy to take out the part about the Lamb or the Messiah, like Christ. So if you say, you know, the the elders bowed down before the throne, like, you can just leave it at that. And then they added in the Lamb. So that possibly the book of Revelation was an ancient Jewish text that was uh, doctored to to add the, the perspective of Jesus being the Messiah. And again, that was a common practice. Um, so if that's the case, the Book of Revelation can give us an earlier version of Hekalot literature, and what I mean by that is that it talks about thrones, it talks about it like a palace in New Jerusalem, things that were still kind of in development, but not fully fleshed out within Judaism. So there's certain things you can find in the New Testament that are that are kind of very mystical and very uh, powerful, that uh, that are part of, of of Jewish uh, expressions or understandings of God. And there's a story in the Talmud about the four rabbis that go up to parties so or paradise, and it says that um, they um, they heard something or they saw things. They say that what Paul describes as his going to the third heaven is very similar. And there's a difference between seeing God and hearing him, and the way that it affects you. So we will go deeper into that next week. I need a little more time to kind of throw all that stuff together. But I really feel that this is uh, a good start, and we have a lot of stuff that we can uh, delve into.